Welcome to Permaweb Pioneers. We feature individuals, companies, projects, and more building on the Permaweb, a global, decentralized, and community-owned web built on top of Arweave. The hosts of this podcast and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions of the hosts and the guests are their own. Nothing discussed on this podcast can be relied upon for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This podcast is solely for entertainment and informational purposes. In this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with Benjamin, who is the co-founder of Arweave News and Permacast and beyond. We'll get into those details further on in the conversation. Benjamin, welcome. Hi. Yes. Great to be here. I guess um, it's interesting because we uh, have have spoken quite a bit in the past. Um, and I, I think that Perma Web Pioneers was, was something that we sort of uh, got into together. But but yeah, it's nice to appear. It, it is. It is great to have you on the Perma Web Pioneers um, and as you mentioned, you know, we've collaborated in a number of ways, um, one, of wh- one of which is on PermWeb Pioneers and, and the formation of it. So it is great to have you here. And uh, Benjamin has been uh, a frequent featured guest in the PermWeb Pioneer panels on Twitter Spaces uh, at the only Arweave Twitter Spaces events. Um, so I'm interested in learning a little bit more about your entry point into Arweave at large. Now, I think uh, Sam Williams has mentioned uh, perhaps you were one of the first to publish a blog post about Arweave. Is that correct? Can you share a little bit about the story there and some of the entry point into the ecosystem on your behalf? Yeah, so it was 2017. I was like doing a, a side project um, publication um, at the time, um, and you know, I, it just caught my eye as as, as somebody who's really interested. At, the, at that point, I was very interested in the archiving of the internet and the preservation of uh, of things that are that that uh, could could well die over time, right? So you know, most of the most of the internet from 20 years ago is not. Uh, currently with us um and so i i i can't remember where it was because it can't have been at the point where arweave had already got its first tech crunch article um because i i think sam said that we that I, I may well have been the first journalist actually to cover arweave so this this was back in like 2017 before the launch of the genesis block um and yeah so we we kind of we did this long uh, long interview where I, I I kind of played the played the part of a fool, trying to just understand in really clear terms um, what Arweave is and how it works. This was also one of my very first introductions to blockchain, um, but I was you know extremely interested at that point. Um, my 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 path from then on, like in in 2017, I was still working in in B two B software as a service companies. So like that's that's my my history for like the past. Eight years, I've worked at like various roles at um, various sized um, B2B SaaS companies, like Silicon Valley startups. So I've been like head of marketing, I've been front end developer, um, like analytics manager, growth engineer most recently. 
Um, and really all through that point, all through that time, like working in Web2 software, um, especially from the marketing standpoint, I was kind of growing disenfranchised with the with the whole um, space. Um, and, you know, I had this connection with with, with Sam. Um, we, we kind of still kept in touch. So I just decided to to message him and say that I'm, you know, done <laughs> with Web2. And without really having to to uh, pander to him too much, um, he said, well, you know, it seems like you'd be a good fit to come and co-found Arweave News. Um, so uh, at that point, Arweave News had had one co-founder, um, Abdallah. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it established a name for itself and, and was doing pretty well as, as, as the like primary independent news source for the ecosystem. Um, I, I came on board, I guess, somewhere early 2021. Um, and yeah, uh, I guess f- from there we've, 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 we've grown a lot. Like now our weave news has got four writers, um, two editors. It's got like a community manager, operations manager, like we we've grown out a lot and that's like not even considering the, the kind of software venture side of it that we went into afterwards. Well, thanks for sharing more of the story of your kind of entry into the ecosystem and some of the impetus. I think it's nice for listeners to hear different entry points and the stories of individuals going full time into the ecosystem. On that note, what was maybe one of your first Arweave aha moments where it really clicked for you? What was that like? Yeah. Um, so I think I think it was it was it was around the original time. Uh, there are two. So I suppose like the the very first one was that you know I'd I'd known about Filecoin for a while and I'd also kind of known about its downfalls and um, that it's you know renting storage rather than permanent storage. Um, and then I was kind of getting more and more interested in decentralized networks, like just as a hobby project, as a as a budding programmer, I was I was kind of getting excited about that. Um, and and the you know the, the robust promises of Arweave um, got me really interested as in it as a as an alternative to the Wayback Machine, you know the the InternetArchive.org um, project which stores um, web pages. And I thought, wow, can't we you know can't we just like port all of this information over over to Arweave instead? Because um, for, for Archive.org, you're actually relying on on a centralized server still, even though it's doing a very admirable service. Um, it's it's not as robust as it could be. Um, and then I guess the second uh, moment moment of clarity for me came when um, I first spoke to Sam. This would be like in 2021, like when we first spoke about like what what I could do for Arweave. Um, and he explained to me that um, all you really need to do to make a Palmer web application is to be able to write front-end code um, and use a couple of libraries that query the Arweave blockchain for data. Um, and, you know, this was actually such a huge leap from what I've done before. So, like, previously, um, I've, you know, I've worked in, in, in programming at my previous jobs and um, the tool stacks that they would be using are extremely heavy duty. Um, so like the, the databases and all of the database logic around it um, was, you know, to, to push a small change, it was it was a lot of work, um, even for something as simple as setting up something like analytics tracking or um, things like that. 
So how simple it was um, just to, to to knock out a perma web application was like pretty amazing because uh, at that point, you know, I'd been been working in programming. Um, I wasn't a JavaScript developer by any means. Like I was more focused on Ruby um, and backend uh, languages. Um, but to be able to take what little I knew about JavaScript and pretty quickly knock up a, a front end app, which communicated with the Arweave blockchain um, was like, it opened, opened my mind a lot about what you can do without actually needing to um, learn um, any of the database logic on the back end because it's all handled for you through Arweave. Um, so I think that that was the biggest thing. It's like all it is is JavaScript and GraphQL, and, and that's all you need. It's like the API is already written for you, um, and you don't have to do any work apart from just query the blockchain. And, and I feel like that really is opening a lot of doors for individuals entering in the ecosystem and especially for those listeners who maybe are thinking about building you know there's there is that component where the back end you know is is largely just handled for you and you can build those front end interfaces use graphql and and so on um to query that data and 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 there you go you're you're on your way so thank you for sharing about that it really is inspiring to hear you know, how accessible it is to build on the PermaWeb and, and Arweave. What things have you seen? Because, you know, 2017, that's that's early on in the Arweave journey. What have you seen thus far that Arweave has been utilized for that has surprised you? What are some developments over the last several years that, is, that have been really surprising to you? Yeah, so I think... Like the, the the most striking thing is that back in 2017, Arweave was being marketed as a way to um, store the content of web pages, like strip the HTML out of a web page and just shove it onto Arweave and then reference back to it. Basically, like you can imagine the use case being something like um, you are writing an academic paper and you don't trust that the link that you are citing is going to be around forever so you um stick it on our weave and and use that link instead in your citations right it's just like a way to pin content um, that you already find on the web and this this was actually how it was originally being um positioned in the market um since then like obviously so many things have happened and i think the most important one being the smart contracting layer on top of our weave so that that kind of took it from just being like a a, um, a dumb database that you could just put things in and call things back from um, to being able to have a gasless um, way of interacting with it with custom code and like uh, another like layer of simplicity on top of that is that those smart contracts are not written in an in a um, you know esoteric and um, new language like solidity not not that solidity is particularly difficult or esoteric to anybody that knows it but it certainly doesn't have the developer base of javascript um, these smart contracts are just written in javascript right um, and so you can you can become a smart contract engineer by by knowing javascript and by knowing the format of a smart contract and then um, this kind of opens up the possibilities to create like really secure and efficient apps which which handle logic on the chain um, rather than having to have the logic handled by the front end which which makes makes them very robust um, and um, you know just as, as secure as something like an ethereum smart contract 
And, you know, there's a reason why the theory of smart contracts are so popular. It's because they are, um, you know, guaranteed computation on the blockchain. And, and for Arweave to be able to offer the same kind of thing in a simpler language without, without gas fees, um, it's absolutely mental to, to me. It's, it's, it's such, a, such a crazy and possibly overlooked part of Arweave. I do appreciate you bringing up the smart weave layer, if you will, because I too think that many individuals aren't aware of it and the power that it kind of yields. Are there any particular examples that come to mind of apps using smart weave that have been particularly interesting from your perspective? Um, so, I mean... I guess for a bit of a story, when I when I first joined Arweave News, I I, I started writing an, an application where it, where you could sort of fill in a um, uh, you know kind of like a, a WordPress backend style, just write a post into a website and publish it, and it would and then it would be stored on Arweave, um, and then in order to get it onto your website, you would need to like use GraphQL to query the who did it and, uh, and and some parts of it like you know you need to to look up the the Arweave address of, of of who did that and then uh, pull it into your front end um, but I, I spoke I spoke at the, around the time with with Darwin um, who's the the co-founder of decent land um, and he kind of recommended instead of using the just like um, using the the very um, I suppose, basic way of just writing stuff directly to Arweave. Um, it's much better practice to encapsulate all of your data inside the smart contract state of, of, of your um, particular smart contract. Um, and, and not even that, it's actually even better practice to encapsulate it inside the user's own smart contract. So what, what we do um, is, is set up a, um, a base contract, um, uh, like a base contract, we deploy it onto Arweave. And then we, on the front end, we have a rule where, you know, we, we look up whether this user has deployed a contract which forks this contract before for themselves. And if they haven't, then we, we create to them their own contract with their own blank slate um, and we store the ID of that contract. Um, and what that means is that once we know the ID of the contract, it's, it's much faster to search the block weave than it is to just do this uh, very um, needle in a haystack, almost algorithmically inefficient search throughout the whole block weave. So, you know, previously you might be like, okay, give me the whole block weave. And now give me a section of the whole block weave, which just um, includes this person's transactions and now filter it further. Um, but when, when you have it, when you have all of the data for the app living inside a user's, contr user's contract state, you can say, okay, we know this user, we know which contract they've got. Um, just load the state of it. And it's a very small amount of data. Um, so it's much faster to load. It's much faster to query. Um, and it's much more encapsulated. Um, so I would say that that, that, has, been, that has been sort of the, the, the benefit to, to, uh, to smart contracts on Arweave instead of just pushing the data to the blockchain and, and, and tagging it. Um, you can do both. You could do either. Um, but also, if you want to do anything like, you know, um, if you want to do anything custom inside the state of the contract, um, then you will need the, the smart contract code as well. Um, so if you want to, you know, reject the transaction in cases where the transaction's description is too long, um, 
and then show an error on the front end. You can make sure it never makes it through to Arweave because there are these like safeties inside the inside the smart contract. So it's very good for like error handling um, and 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 you know custom functions like that. That it, it really depends on what application you're you're kind of thinking about. Um, but um, it, it's generally a lot safer and faster um, to do things through the smart contracting route rather than pushing stuff onto Arweave and then querying it off. Thanks for that. And to transition a little bit to dive more into the work that you're focused on, as previously mentioned, you know, you're a co-founder of Arweave News and Permacast, um, which is where individuals can store their podcast on the PermaWeb. Um, and PermaWeb Pioneers has a number of episodes on Permacast and, and more to come. You're also a founder, uh, a co-founder of PermaWeb DAO. And PermaWeb DAO is a combination of Arweave News, what you're calling Permanent Press, and Permacast. Can you share a little bit more about PermaWeb DAO? I mean, I know at a high level, it it's this like incentivized social layer for Arweave. Um, can you share kind of how you explain PermaWeb DAO at, at a high level? Um, so yes, PermaWebDAO, like the way that we kind of position it is that um, it is sort of like solving the problem of cre content creators that would want to store their stuff permanently on the blockchain currently have the option of doing something like, you know, putting it on R drive or putting it on Koi or something like that. But these these platforms don't actually support all kinds of content. Um, it's not... Um, and when I say support, I mean kind of upload them in a way where they can be then um, bridged or displayed or distributed through apps other than um, the one that they're on at the moment. So like what we have for Permacast is a way for you to put your podcasts on Arweave, use Arweave as a database backend, but then use Permacast to generate the RSS feed, which can then bridge it across to Spotify, right? Um, or iTunes. So you couldn't actually have this kind of dynamic just simply by putting your stuff on Arweave. There needs to be a kind of adapter layer, um, something which um, categorizes the content in a way where it is sane um, for it to be then bridged across to something which expects that type of content. So it's like um, it takes content by format um, and then adapts it into a way which makes it easy for other apps and other front ends to consume it um, and display it. So, and this collection of initial applications is Arweave News, Permanent Press, and Permacast. Can you speak a little bit to the functioning or the details of Permanent Press? Yeah, sure. So, so permanent press is is kind of um, solving for the solving for the um, blogging directly to the permaweb issue, and then being able to pull it into your own front end. Um, so, like right now, you know, we have things like Mirror, um, and I would say we're we're kind of competing with Mirror a little bit in this regard, where Mirror uses Arweave. It doesn't use it for um, everything. It doesn't use it for um, for, for images or any kinds of videos or rich media that you might put into the text. It stores the text itself on Arweave. Um, but then what it does is, is make it so that you have to go to mirror.xyz to um, you know, actually consume that content. Um, what, what we want to do is make it so that you can use a front-end agnostic back-end um, 
you write your content in permanent press and then pull it into any front end that you choose, you would be able to sort of just stick a little plugin on your website that would then pull in all of the content from permanent press um, into your blog as if it looks like your blog, right? So you could own like, you know, um, onlyareweave.io um, slash blog. And on that page, it, you could have um, you could have the tool pull in every single post that you've written in our backend. Um, and you know that they would be actually hosted on Arweave and pulled in from Arweave. You wouldn't need your own database. You'd be using Arweave as the database. Got it. So I think that gives us a, a good picture of Permaweb DAO. Is there anything you'd like to elaborate before we move on to Descentland, before kind of diving into all things Descentland on, on that end? Yeah, um, I, I guess as far as Permaweb DAO goes, like beyond just being like a generic um, adapter for content, you know, this is a podcast, you can now put it on Spotify or iTunes, or this is a blog post, you can pull it into your own front end. Um, we have this like token incentivization layer as well. Um, so, you know, owing to the nature that, that SmartWeave is so cheap to interact with, um, we, we basically don't have to charge anything to make it so that when you upload your podcast or you upload your article, it gets automatically minted as an NFT. Um, and that means that you then own that NFT by by uploading your your work. And I think generally it's pretty difficult in this space to find tools which will support NFTs as anything other than JPEGs, right? So the NFTization of um, of, of of written pieces or of podcast episodes is is not not particularly common or well supported. But it is like very important for the creator economy and um, for having you know sovereignty over your work. You own this, you can fractionalize this, you can, um, you can, you can sell it on a, on, a, on a marketplace, you can use it as a utility NFT to plug in with different apps um, and things like that. So like that's the NFT angle of things. Um, as, as well as that, um, we, we're, we will be launching like the, the proper token test net, I think for, for Permacast in the next couple of weeks, which will involve things like being able to say, you know, I, I have a, I have an idea for a podcast. I will need this many tokens in order to upload it, and then people can come and um, pledge their tokens, like a Kickstarter, to to get the idea off the ground um, and pay the pay the creator um, when they deliver the 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 content. Um, so you know, with Web three, there are, there are so many different ways to to throw the the the, the you know um, very top down Web two economy. Um, on its head um, and start to reward creators in, in better ways that are that are more efficient and especially ways which are um, uh, you know profitable for everyone when you have your native token um, it, it's it's uh, it's it's a lot easier to incentivize people with it um, you know you you mint these tokens you you have all of them you can you can start to you know deliver incentives to creators um, in a way which web 2 wouldn't be able to do just like straight off the bat and speaking on the topic of basically creating better incentive models and more appropriate places, moving beyond Web 2, if you will, to Web 3, you are a partner or Permweb DAO has a partnership with Descent.land, which defines itself as the social Web 3 layer. Now, in some of the information that you've provided and that you have on your site, 
or their site rather, descentland, uh, descent.land, you know, there's this very big distinction between what descent.land is is looking to provide and what the incumbents of Web2 are providing, and they're almost the opposite. Can you speak to what Descent Land is looking to do in general? Yes. Um, so, like, I guess there are, there are a couple of parts to to Decent Land. So, like, the first part is that you would have this sort of um, general purpose social protocol that you could imagine as something like the back end to Twitter or Reddit, where you've got, you know, your social graph, you've got your users with their identities, you've got kind of everything that you might expect on a modern social network. Um, but like beyond that, um, and something which we've been, you know, innovating beyond. Um, uh, sorry, some something which has kind of come out of the project lately um, is is that it caters more towards projects which have tokens. So this could be like an NFT project, or it could be a, a DAO, um, and to build um, token gated communities. Um, within decent land, so so the model would be that you um, that you stake decent land tokens against a community um, in order to to open it up and to enlist yourself as the moderator. Then you can set the rules for it. So you can say you have to hold this DAO's governance tokens in your wallet um, in order to to access this community. And uh, or this could even, you know, have, this has really good synergies as well with PermaWeb DAO because everything is a token when you mint it through Permacast or Permanent Press. Um, and so once you mint your uh, podcast episode, it becomes a token that you can then use to gate access to your community on decent land. So this this kind of creates a, a different dynamic to to something like Patreon, where you would have, you know, this um, dynamic of you pay a monthly subscription to um, to access the the creator's paid content. In the case of Decent Land, you would be an owner of one of the NFTs, and then you can access the creator's um, the, the creator's uh, you know paid group, if you will, kind of um, gated group. Um, as as well as that, like to, to to cater really towards the DAO angle, like something that I the the, the Decent Land is doing that I think no other. Um, DAO tooling is doing is providing governance and voting on chain. Um, so, you know, if you look at something like Snapshot, which is a, um, a DAO governance tool suite, um, actually, you, you might be horrified to know that it doesn't actually store um, any of the governance votes on chain. Um, it offloads them to IPFS. Or, or, or even Cloudflare, um, centralized CDN. Um, and so th this, makes, um, this makes DAO governance somewhat brittle um, in the sense that it's not actually using censorship resistant solutions for something which I think is really, really important to be censorship resistant. Um, something like you know, the, the running of a, of a DAO is, is pretty high priority to, to, to stay um, immutable and to stay um, you call it like genuine or integ with integrity, right? Um, and so, so with Decent Land, there is actually, you know, once you set up a DAO community, you token gate it, you have your members in there, you can then run on-chain governance proposals where the results of the governance proposals will be stored on the Arweave PermaWeb, just like every everything else is. 
Um, and then you can also run things like, you know, whatever else DAOs do. They, they give bounties out. Um, we can lock tokens into an Arweave smart contract um, in decent land um, and um, distribute them uh, when the when the bounty is complete. Normally, these things are done very informally or they're done with Web 2 tools um, where, you know, there is no Web 3 component to it um, or, or things like running AMAs, um, text-based AMAs. They, they can all be done on-chain in decent land and stored stored permanently. I guess like the, the, the idea behind it really is that um, DAO governance is far too important to be left up to the the whims of a centralized server operator. Yeah, it makes tons of sense. I mean, it, it is surprising. You mentioned this already with Snapshot and um, their, you know, kind of delivery of where that data goes uh, is pretty precarious, I think is is a fair word to use, especially when these governance decisions are the core of these DAOs. And so that I think you use a great word, which is brittle. It really makes that the distillation of these DAOs, it makes it into something that is brittle, that does not have really immutable characteristics. And, you know, decent land, it sounds like can provide a lot of opportunities, not just for the the storage layer, um, you know, everything else that that comes with it from a feature standpoint uh, of something like like Snapchat or Snapshot, not Snapchat, um, and beyond. Um, also, for the record, I think I, I, I'm definitely mispronounced uh, decent land as descent land, which is funny because I feel like in my mind, it just it shows a little bit of a philosophical vantage point of it's kind of a descent from what the status quo is of social media today. Yeah, yeah, I completely get it. <laughs> I, I also I, I also say like that um, sometimes as a joke. <laughs> yeah, and I and I you know it's it's kind of funny how how words can uh, can be interpreted and, and mispronounced at times, which can actually work uh, in favor of its meaning. Anyways, just wanted to to set the record straight on that end. Now, one of the things that decent land um, provides it, it it has this like. Arweave name service associated with it. Can you speak to what the Arweave name service is set out to do and how it integrates into Decent Land? Yes. Um, so, so, so ANS is is kind of the you know it's it's the Arweave Arweave's answer to to the ENS um, protocol, um, where where you know it's possible to to mask. Um, somebody's Arweave address and instead provide a user-friendly handle for it. Uh, we're, you know, getting support currently from ViewBlock um, to integrate this so that, you know, if you look up my address or whatever, it will show like xy.r um, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the ViewBlock results so that, you, so that you know whose address this is or you could actually search by xy.r instead um, to 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 find my my wallet and things like that. So it's kind of providing this human readable layer um, on on top of on top of addresses. As well as that, it's like the it's the top level identity protocol um, uh, for decent land. So your your um, you know your username on decent land is your ANS name. Um, and the reason why that was done is because um, well. 
Decentland needs um, a completely new primitive for identities, which is a bit more complex than than what you could do with um, you know pulling in something like ENS um, instead. Because um, what 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 Decentland needs to function because it because it is is supporting all of these different chains. Um, you know, as I was saying about how you could have a DAO governance token from Ethereum, but you could read it on the Arweave chain. What what Decentland needs to do is is to make links between um, Ethereum and Arweave, and then store that user's Ethereum address in the in the smart contract state of their ANS profile. So this this would mean you know uh, essentially that you can have all of your different identities on all the different chains stored in one place, um, and then be able to interact with Decentland using those identities. Um, basically, Decentland would know which tokens to read from the wallet when it is trying to you know do token gating uh, to let you into communities. And you know a little bit of a transition, I guess, in the conversation. However, I'm I'm curious to to hear your perspective. Um, are you familiar with Diaspora and the the kind of Web two almost kind of pre web three social experiments yeah yeah Di- diaspora was built on what was it built on like i can't remember what the protocol was called like the push protocol or the o push or something like that anyway mastodon was also built on the exact same protocol and i was like a heavy mastodon user when i was trying to get rid of social media out of my life and and get onto something different well i'm i'm just curious you know because if you look at the github and you look at their site it's their kind of tagline is a privacy aware distributed open social open source rather open source social network i'm just curious to hear your perspective on on projects like diaspora and how decent land maybe differs uh can you share some thoughts on that yeah for sure so like if you have um at the at the on the on the i guess the left side of the scale for for centralization you have something like twitter or facebook and then you know on the on the on the far right side of the scale um for decentralization you'd have something like decentland which doesn't have any sort of centralized intermediaries at all in the middle would be something like mastodon so it's it's not um it's not centralized it's not decentralized it's federated um, so what this means really is that it's possible for you to spin up your own instance and you be the centralized server um, and you provide your, um, you know, your, your uh, um, community, um, your community can federate with other communities um, and you can be like one node in the network. Um, so it's kind of um, also brittle in a way where, um, you know, you're relying on a single node operator per community. Um, where this this node operator could easily go down, whereas whereas in 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 the Arweave model, you're always relying on the full power and decentralization of the Arweave network itself. So I would say it it, it it's a halfway point. Um, it's it's way better than Twitter. It's 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 got it's got so many things right, and it's it's very it's a very clever solution. Um, but I would say it's not it's not as it's not as radically decentralized or censorship resistant at all um, as as uh, what decent land is building. Now, do you think or do you see a world where Mastodon or Diaspora or the like 
can actually integrate decent land and adapt to decent land? Yes. Okay. So it, it's possible because because what decent land is building is really a very um, open and you know um, integration first protocol where um, where it's it's very it's very easy to pull data from it into other apps. So like in contrast to something like Twitter. Um, so I was I was a I was a Twitter bot developer in the heyday of of the uh, open APIs of Twitter when they when they just let anyone have an API key and anybody build a bot anybody do something fun with a Twitter API. Um, since then they've they've shut it down basically. They 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 felt like Twitter was being abused. Um, because I would say not so much so because of actual bots, but because people were pulling Twitter data into applications which were not Twitter.com um, and basically being able to fork Twitter and use all of its data um, and you know provide their own version of Twitter's front end with, with different features and things like that, which um, as a company which, which lives or dies by loyalty and platform lock-in, um, it's a very bad thing to have happened. Um, so they shut that off pretty quick, um, you know, a couple of years ago. And in contrast to that, um, decent land really is the complete opposite. So by everything living in a very easily consumable and queryable way on our weave, we invite people to um, to 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 basically white label it, um, build unofficial front ends. Um, say if a DAO wanted to set up their own social network, um, Decent Land is ready to use out of the box as a protocol um, for them to basically fork it and create their own, you know, whatever it is, like Olympus DAO branded social network with their own unique features and things like that. Because um, at the heart of it, Decent Land has the token incentive layer, which um, basically, um, I, I would say, makes attacks like that um, not that they are even attacks in the sense of, of decent land but they would be if it would be in the sense of twitter because it would be taking traffic away from twitter itself right um in the in the case of decent land because the token layer remains and is still a necessity um it it it, it makes it so that the, you know the decent land project doesn't care one way or another whether somebody is is, is using it like that it, it, it still succeeds yeah that's a really important thing to bring up and and i think a great you know, a bit of a segue into the mechanics of that. Now, we don't need to go super deep into it. What is the incentive design and what is the kind of business, I don't know, uh, component or the revenue potential component of decent land? How does that work? Yeah. So to, to um, open up a token gated community uh, you need to stake your decent land tokens against a land nft so decent land will be um, essentially opening up a public mint for various um, sizes of land so there'll be like continents archipelagos islands and settlements um, a settlement is the lowest level of land type that you need to be able to um, open up a community so this we will have this you know whole uh, secondary NFT market around it, and that was done because it's not desirable for the protocol to set the price on on um, on how much it should cost to open up a community. 
if you have some free market element around it, um, say with the with the land secondary market or, or minting, then then it then it kind of helps to um, it helps for the market to price itself rather than the protocol to tell you how much it should cost or be worth. Um, so there is that part. Um, you 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 need to stake decent land tokens against a land. Um, if you own an island and you have a bunch of DAOs that are stoking, staking their tokens on the settlements inside that island, then you as the island owner can extract some tokens back in value from the people who are staking against it, and then so on up the chain. Um, so I guess the the way to earn decent land tokens from, from decent land would be like, there are a couple of things. Like one is this land thing that I'm saying. Um, you By owning something bigger than what you need, you are able to extract value from people who are setting up their communities on your land. Um, and then also there is the, the, another way to earn decent land tokens, which is when you mint an ANS name, um, it has a pretty unique um, incentive model to it. So by say say I hold um, I hold Benjamin dot R, um, and then somebody comes and mints Ben dot R. Um, because there is that B E N overlap um, in the names, then the, a portion of the minting fee for the person who minted Ben would flow back to the person who owns the Benjamin dot R. So you can sort of earn by holding your username in the first place. You can earn decent one token passively in that way as well. So those are the those are the kind of how to get decent land tokens, I suppose, um, mechanisms. And then also like how to how to lose them, I suppose, is um, focused around the moderation of communities. So. The whole the whole point of of a moderator having to stake their tokens against a land in order to moderate the community is that um, if the moderator is doing a bad job, the community can vote to slash them and to reshuffle the governance and to you know appoint a better moderator. Now this is this is um, this is something which is not doable in something like reddit or twitter like reddit may be a little, little bit more decentralized because it's got um you know mods are appointed by the community it's normally done behind the scenes but you can't really do anything about it if it's you know if the, if, if if you um there's no formal process to go through if you feel like your favorite subreddit for example is being mismoderated you can't slash the moderator's stake and rebel um but in decent land that's possible and the, you know obviously the, there are even fewer opportunities to do that in twitter because you know the the, the c-suite or the moderator's word is 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 law um and there's, there's no kind of way to to talk back against that so so that's the token dynamics of decent land maybe that's that's helpful to explanation it is helpful and and it's nice to kind of hear more of the details behind those incentive mechanisms and the land component of decent dot land uh, and that being articulated in the form of digital land and all of the things that come with that now we've spoken a lot about what you are either building or a part of building from Arweave News to Permacast and Permaweb DAO, which incorporates a number of things within it, and Decent Land. I'm curious if there are any things, anything out there that, you know, for the listeners or a potential builder, 
that you'd really love to see built on Arweave that maybe you're not going to build or or whatever. You just something that you'd really love the community to make. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> it's such a tough question because all of the stuff that that I really have a pain point around are things that I'm really dedicating time towards making. Um, I'd say that I think Redstone currently, like some some, some until last week, um, I, I I did not think that this existed, but now I realise it does. Um, so this this would be like the the thing that i'm most excited about um and the thing that i would also like to see more development time dedicated to would be the ability to include smart weave contract interactions in bundles um so i know redstone recently released kind of this this um this library where you can make it so that your um your contract interactions are included in bundles you know obviously it's really really important to their use case they they use smartweave heavily to, to create like this very low cost and efficient oracle solution so so that that was kind of their um you know smart business sense from their side to get something like that out um but yeah more more support um around bundles and and smartweave contracts um because you know, right right now, um, r- right now um, with with Arconnect, so it's possible to um, Arconnect and Bundler recently announced a partnership where um, if you upload less than 100 kilobytes of data, it's actually the cost is covered by uh, someone. <laughs> it's free for you, um, basically, right? Um, that that's that's really crazy and interesting for decent land. Um, however. Um, the the nature of the of, of um, decent land infrastructure, where it relies on on smart contracts, um, meant that that is not actually covered by that um, you know free guarantee because Bundler doesn't natively integrate with SmartWeave. Um, so from from a very uh, I guess in depth technical perspective, more more integrations around those two two products would be would be the thing that I'd be really looking looking for someone to build. Um, Further than that, um, something that I'm really interested in is being able to bridge um, atomic NFTs across to alternative layer ones. So alternative layer ones like like Avalanche and Phantom have got really strong NFT marketplace infrastructure. Um, right now, Arweave just simply does not. Um, you know, Verto is down and has been down for, for, for some time. Um, and that that was was and is Arweave's only place to trade atomic NFTs. Um, so to, to to think about how we can bridge those atomic NFTs across to something like Avalanche and then utilize their marketplace infrastructure, um, that's something I would really love to be seeing see, to see being built. Yeah, definitely agree on the NFT side, and something that I think about quite a bit because you know if we look at the history of Arweave thus far the connections and the opportunities that have be, like become of the Solana based NFTs with Arweave, you know, as a storage layer has really kicked off a lot of cool exchanges between the Arweave and the Solana community and has enabled many, many individuals to become aware of Arweave. And so I definitely agree that there's a, there's a really important pathway forward. So for listeners out there, um, definitely look into the bridging uh, of these atomic NFTs to other L1s uh, out there that are of interest. Um, just to wrap up, uh, curious if you have 
in general, any recommendations for potential founders listening uh, that are starting out in this ecosystem? Anything you'd like to say from your experience, some general thoughts, anything on that end? Um, I would say uh, trying to integrate Bundler um, immediately <laughs> rather than to rather than to build your application without Bundler and then try and build it in. Um, because I would say, you know, the, the fact that 90% of transactions onto the network are being processed through Bundler is no coincidence. Um, it's an extremely useful tool, um, pretty much a necessity um, at this stage of Arweave's adoption. Um, and yeah, I, that, that would pretty much, yeah, that's like my, my, my biggest learning as well as that, like what I was saying earlier about not going for the vanilla way of just pushing data to Arweave and then querying it based off of tags. Um, instead, even a simple smart contract to encapsulate that data will, will make development a lot easier and you can build like error handling in on chain. Makes sense. And anything that you are looking for from the community? Are you hiring? Are you looking for investors? Anything uh, on that front? Yeah. So, I mean, Palmer Web DAO and Decent Land are both raising right now. Um, and I, I, I think as far as hiring goes, one interesting role um, that I know Decent Land is looking for is an artist to draw um, various components of, of the land NFTs. So we have a spec set out, um, but, but, but no art. Um, so so that, that would be the, the, that would be the, the call, for, call, for, um, call for an artist. All right, great. Well, thank you again, Benjamin, for being on the Permweb Pioneers podcast. It's really great to learn more about all of the projects and entities in which you've founded and continue to build. Um, what you're doing for the Arweave community at large is really important and just appreciate your thoughts and perspective. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's, it's been a really stimulating conversation as always. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Permaweb Pioneers, a podcast focused on growing awareness of Arweave and the Permaweb. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Otherwise, share this episode with friends and family and whoever else you think may find it useful and interesting. Thank you for being a part of our community of pioneering long-term thinkers securing the present and future of data.